everybody, and welcome to another action-packed episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. My good friend Bobby Ferry from the band 16 joins us this evening. A few years ago, Tombs and 16 embarked on a uh, tour of the U.S., primarily in the Northeast and uh, partially into the South, I think. It was a lot of fun, and um, I was a big fan of 16 before going out on that tour, but I got to know Chris and Bobby really well. Uh, we all traveled in the same van together. And uh, even back then, we thought it'd be a really good idea for us to do a podcast together. So I took this opportunity, uh, now that they have a new record out um, called The Lifespan of a Moth, to uh, catch up with Bobby and uh, see what's going on. This episode and every episode is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. Right now, I'm in the middle of raising funds for uh, the Savage Gold cold press uh, efforts, hoping to uh, launch a brand new bottled cold press system. So um, you can head over to the GoFundMe campaign and if uh, you feel like donating some cash, that would be much appreciated. We also have Datsusara gear. Datsusara manufactures uh, hemp accessories, uh, stuff like gear bags, uh, geese, grappling shorts, chopsticks, fanny packs, really cool high quality hemp gear so you can go to the portal on the everything went black media website and click through and check out what they have to offer also my favorite on it big big huge user of the on it products and i can't recommend them enough if uh, you're looking to get good supplements um healthy foods exercise equipment i mean a lot of this stuff i'm not even getting a cut on so um but i just love the company so much uh just head on over to the everything went black media website and check out the portals and uh it'll put you onto their store and you can uh, i urge you to buy something from them great products you can reach me on facebook at michael hill uh you can contact me at mike.hill at everything went I'm on Instagram as Mike Hill Primate, or you can get at me on Twitter at Mike Hill HQ, and away we go. We got a we got a break from it, but uh, it's it's been bad here. It's it's been like the whole place is gonna burn down, like it does in my area of California. Oh yeah, that's right. That's a big thing down there. <clears throat> those fly, those fires. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I live uh, kind of inland San Diego, where. Uh, like maybe five years ago, like 1,500 houses burned down. So it's it's on everybody's mind. Damn. It's it's a it's a tinder, uh, you know, tinder box with the with the drought and all that fun shit. Yeah, fucking. I remember a while back, um, I was on tour with my old band, and we were supposed to play at that. Uh, What's that place that's on on the co- I used to, I don't know if it's even there anymore. The the Che yeah the the, the Shea Cafe the Shea Cafe. We were supposed to play yeah. there at Phobia, and then there was um, we got this email from the the promoter, and it's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's like the show's canceled because there was like fucking fires, shit's burned up, and like uh, you know everyone's like you know af- afraid of like getting killed in a fire. So I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> We're not going to come. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I mean, it's it's like a, a, a like a fire tornado will happen, and you know, I mean, it's not a surprise. They see it coming. 
you know, so you can, you can get the, you can get the hell out of Dodge. Have you ever had to like flee town because of this? Uh, twice. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fucking yeah. A, man. <clears throat> Fucking one time, um, Maybe like the big one, uh, like the San Diego fires. I was off work for a whole week, dude. The whole fucking place just burned down. Like Holy you could see it. I was staying up all night and we lived, we lived on a, a border where it was mandatory evacuations, like two streets over. And so I just stayed up all night smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, waiting for the, waiting for the evacuations. And, uh, they never came, but I was like staying up. I'd look out on the mountain and just see the fire up there and just go, okay, let's go. And then I looked at my, uh, my, my, uh, my homeowner's insurance policy fucking covered up to like $300 a night for a hotel. So I totally blew it. I could have just gone to the double tree and been chilling out somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it didn't even matter. Uh, you know, I, I totally just suffered and put my family at risk like a jackass. I could have <laughs> just been, you know, I could have just gone downtown by the water and been chilling out. Damn. So lesson, lesson learned, lesson learned. Yeah. That's some like real shit you got to deal with, man. It's like some zombie apocalypse, you know, fucking... <clears throat> well, luckily it's like I said, it's, it's, you see it coming, it's seasonal and it only happens you know, once a decade, maybe oh. once, you know, once every five years during fire season. I thought this was happening like every year. You guys are like having shit. No, no, at least not around here. I mean, you probably see, you see it on the news and it's parts of California are on fire. Okay. Yeah. No, no. All right. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. Now I'm, I'm squared away with that now. Yeah. All right. So you guys just had a new album come out last month. Yes, sir. And, uh, you, uh, you were kind enough to share some of that music with me prior to the release of this record. Um, but yeah, it's, it came out, right, in, like in, in July, officially? Yeah, I think uh, July 15th, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of quite an interesting title, too. Yeah. We just put, pulled it from thin air. There's, uh, there's no like significance to the, uh, the title of the... Uh, you know, of, of the record. Uh, maybe, you know, the all, the, 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 the temporariness of everything. Okay. I could dig that. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's every, everything is fleeting. I like that. You know? Yeah. In a, in, in a, in a geological sense, your problems are bullshit. You know, <laughs> when you, when you start looking at, uh, the Grand Canyon, whatever, your job is bullshit. So, something to think about. Yeah, the lifespan of a moth, because moths don't live very long. I don't know if anyone out there realizes the the duration of the lifespan of a moth is, uh, you know, they they live and they die basically. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess when you extrapolate over like an infinite timeline it kind of the human lifespan becomes that of a moth over a long enough timeline you know i, I love that thing it's like that we're like you know humans impact on earth is like you know 30 seconds oh yeah as, you know over a uh, hundred thousand years yeah because i remember um 
they have that uh, the reboot of Cosmos that had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson as the host. Did you catch any of those? Yeah, yeah, it's my, it's my favorite sleeping pill. Yeah, dude. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I, I was riveted the whole time. Man. I love I love Neil deGrasse Tyson and also um, that kind of yeah. shit. It's like you know, I love all that stuff. And uh, yeah, there was like. Um, the the earth's 24 hour clock or something like that and there was like yeah you know they pretty much our entire history is like in the last like 15 minutes of like the 24 hour clock so yeah yeah i i actually i really like i like the first cosmos too yeah i love that uh what is that that blue dot uh carl sagan poem yeah uh that's that's kind of like one of my favorite uh perspective uh things i have an evernote document with all these quotes and that's definitely one of them uh you know the the look look at us you know we're just like a look at that dot you know that's home that's us you know everything you love everything you know everyone you heard you know we're just a tiny blue dot (laughs) (laughs) do you think that the uh copious amounts of uh weed that Carl Sagan smoked had anything to do with its perspectives? Most likely, but I, I think, um, actually, I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause I think I've, I think I've probably done more than Carl, Carl Sagan. Um, since, uh, I, I live in a, a modern time where there's more THC available. Uh, I think he was just, uh, way smarter (laughs) way smarter and way deeper and realize the infinite when you start thinking about how small you know there's a billion a billion stars you know yeah Uh, like i said like the the blue dot you know every everyone there's a you're a moat dust suspended on a sunbeam you know i just i love that the the vision of the human future in space that carl sagan in cosmos but I, you know, I do love the reboot too, and I love the animation. Yeah. But God, God damn it! If it, if I have never, I put it on at like, you know, ten o'clock at night, and it puts me to sleep every time. I call that show my Ambien. <laughs> I just fucking fall asleep every time. Yeah. When I, when I heard that he was taking over the reins of that, I was like really excited about it because, um, you know, I I really I really I listen to his podcast all the time. That Star Talk podcast. Totally. Yeah, it's totally. really it's fun, man. He's an interesting guy. He's like smart. I've read a couple of his books. And um he makes science fun, man. That's the thing. It's like, you know, kids these days are, you know, preoccupied with like, you know, social media and the sort of instant gratitude that the internet gives them. Um, that I think a lot of kids aren't interested in stuff like that. So you need a guy like Neil deGrasse Tyson to you know, give like um an ident a, a sort of someone you can relate to like a face that you can relate to and a tone of voice that you can relate to. And, you know, instead of some dry ass dude in a white shirt, you know, I think that, and he just breaks it down so simply and yeah, you're right. So relatable. Uh, you know, like I, I was only interested in that stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, I was, uh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Who's the guy in the wheelchair? <laughs> What kind of the guy in the wheelchair? Yeah, I remember uh, being on uh, like a teenager going on skate trips and buying that uh, buying that book, the uh, the brief history of what the fuck was that book called? 
uh, and trying to get into it, but, uh, you know, only within the past, say, 10 years, I've really gotten into science. So it's a later, a later pursuit. Hopefully I can instill in my kid, but weird tangent from the album title that I don't think had anything to do with it. I think we just pulled it. I pulled a line out of Chris's, Chris's lyrics, and that's how we kind of landed on it. And it has a, a bunch of bigger meaning, which is always nice. Just for the record, the guy in the wheelchair is Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, the guy in the scientist in the wheelchair. Yes, yeah. yes, great. That's that's uh, real, real PC of me. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, I'm assuming Chris writes all the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he gets he gets free he gets free reign there. That's cool. And uh, you know, and you you I'm assuming write the lion's share of the riffing too and they're like you know in the band i pretty much wrote uh i wrote and demoed all this record um on the computer using cubase and uh fucking easy drummer yeah you actually turned me on to easy drummer and um i've been fucking with it a little bit it's it's pretty cool it's definitely a really it's it's a once you get the hang of it that is it's pretty it's pretty uh you know pretty intuitive it's just one of those things, like a, just another comp, uh, composition tool. I mean, I pr- of course, I prefer a, a real drummer because the flexibility is there. Um, you can get deep into MIDI editing and really, really play with it. Um, but as, as far as just jamming and composing, I mean, you could do a, a, a riff and, you know, a certain time signature and then you can look at the kick pattern, open the MIDI window, and change it. And then you can kind of tweak the riff a little bit. And then you could just cut and paste things together. It's 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 absolutely bananas. <laughs> and I, of course, I'm like late to the party on all this. But uh, you know, I've basically figured it out in the past, say, three years, and become you know proficient, maybe in the past two years with it. And the whole kind of tune track thing. And then, you know, maybe screwed with the Steven Slate stuff too. But, geez. Um, And it's just to give people demos of like, hey, here's a song I wrote. Um, Here's how it goes. Here's some drum ideas I had. And then here's one with a click track. You know, it's pretty easy and kind of a no bullshit way to write songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do all the guys live in? Oh, you you live in San Diego, and some of the guys live in L.A., right? Um, only Chris lives in L.A. Okay, so he's he's like the only member, kind of in absentia. Um, the uh, the drummer Dion lives here in San Diego, and uh, the bass player Barney lives here in San Diego as well. Right, but yeah, the, the earlier the lineup prior to this had most of, all three of those guys living in L.A. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I successfully I successfully restructured did <laughs> did some did some corporate restructuring restructuring uh, and migrated everything uh, to make it more convenient for me. Yes. Well, that's handy because uh, yeah, yeah. You know, conveniently I, so. Yes. I um you know with tombs it's like we got two guys that live in Philly and then three guys that live here in in uh, in Brooklyn. Andrew was living in Ithaca, which is like five hours away, so that kind of made. Uh, songwriting 
kind of difficult to do. And our other guitar player was living in like Northampton, Massachusetts, which is like six hours away. And uh, our bass player was living in Philly. So I was like the only guy living here in New York. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that was like, uh, not that, you know, that, that went on for a couple of years and then things kind of moved on. And now the, the Charlie, our new drummer, who you saw when we played the show at uh, in San Diego, he, um, you know, he, he lives here in the same neighborhood basically as I do. So we get together all the time to like write songs and, you know, work on stuff. And, uh, right on. yeah, Fade, our synth player, lives, uh, you know, close by too. So, yeah, the, the latest incarnation of Tombs is the best yet. Oh, fully. Thanks. Thank you. Totally inspiring. I was like, shit. I just like had finished my record and I was like, God damn it. I need a synth player. I should just can this record. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to be like, yeah, you know, relapse, like, we finished this and we're done, but we're going to throw it out and restart again. We're going to... Uh, oh, uh, it's just... Uh, what was the uh, synth player's name? I'm so sorry. In, um, in Tombs? Yeah. Fade. What was it? Fade. Fade? Fade. Yeah. Jesus, he even has a cool name. I know, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that his, did he name name no, himself dude. or is that his cool name? No, that's his cool name. His he yeah, he's he's German and uh, well, I mean he's American, but he was born yeah. in Germany. He has like a German passport. Oh, and, okay. Um, I remember when we were going to Europe with this lineup. I had scans of everyone's passports, and like even his passport photo is cool. It's like for some <laughs> reason, for some reason, like he has. I, I guess I don't know if in all of Germany you have black and white photos on your passports. But he's got, like, of course you do he's got like this fucking black and white photo it's like all severe it looks like you know from like a throbbing gristle record or something that's so awesome and his his like full name is like fade like fade f-e-d-y-a like but it's easier for less american savages just to call him fade and he's got this long fade demetrius erasmus you know caner like some cool European name, you know what I mean? I remember, uh, like I said, we played with his old band, uh, what is it, Batillus? Yeah, Batillus, yeah. Uh, and they were just crushingly heavy. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, samples, the whole nine. It was, like, totally together. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this this incarnation of, of Tombs was uh, just just a full, I mean, the sound was so much so much better than anything else on the bill, for sure because of uh all the members and how tight you were so it was it was great no thanks it man. was it was definitely great yeah i mean and you know we were out there with 1349 who i think are a great band like black metal band yeah but, yeah uh, that was that's a great show that was, that was probably probably a great tour yeah we're coming out to san diego again in november the uh, the dates haven't gone up yet but i think monday they're going to announce our tour um us in this band well it's funny I'm, I'm mentioning it now <laughs> us in this band Wolfhammer I don't know if you ever you've probably heard of them uh, yeah Wolfhammer yeah yeah we're, we're doing a semi pretty much pretty much the whole US in November um you know all that sort of jazz it'll be cool going to nice. San Diego yeah but um but yeah you know the funny thing is like and this might sound you know like predictable but like I've always wanted to have like a keyboard player or a synth guy, like electronics noise dude in the band um, for years, but I was never able to really like, you know, I, I tried to do it myself and it just 
you know, it sounded, it, it was amateurish compared to like having a guy like Fade on board. And, um, you know, it's just like, we need you, you can, you can only, you can only do so much for one and you don't want to play to a sequencer. No, you want to, you want a performance element to it. Yeah. And, and it's super hard to find that guy. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like, yeah, exactly. It's like hard to find the right person to add that element to the band, you know? But, uh, Who, who's going to know what's appropriate? You know? Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's like, and I mean, I, Fade is like a guy that I've seen around New York for ages. I mean, he, you know, he used to work at CB's when that place was around. And, and um, he's been in a bunch of different bands. He played, uh, he played with Jarbo, like on that last, remember like a few years ago, uh, Jarbo was like active. You know, they, yeah. were, they had a record and then she went on tour for a while. So, you know, he was in the band with her and in her live band. Actually, I don't think he was on the record, but he played live with them. And um, he's just like one of those guys like I've seen around and I've, I'm aware of like what his abilities were. And then we ended up being in a um, like a side project together with some other people. And uh, just like the side project was cool, but it never really went anywhere. And then me, him, and actually Charlie, the drummer, were just like, let's, uh, why don't you guys just join the band? You know, Tombs. Yeah, Andrew was stepping away because, you know, he was moving into, you know, his new, like, you know, life that he's moving into now. And, uh, yeah, so it just all kind of worked out. But, um, so did you, you didn't, did you record this record yourself too, or did you have... You did something with yourself? I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Hello? Uh, yeah, you're cutting in a, a little later now. But. All right, let me, let me, uh, am I just stepping away from, can you hear me better now? Uh, no, it was like chopping in and out. Okay, all right. So did you record any of this record yourself or did you do the whole thing in a different studio? Or? <clears throat> uh, no, I just did, like I said, I did all the, the composition and like full pre-production at home. And then, you know, some of the song intros and stuff were all done at home. And then we went to a studio and did everything organic uh, with no click track. Oh. Because uh, everything was kind of mechanized sounding yeah. on my demos with all the, uh, the easy drummer and all the, all the MIDI I was doing. Uh, and then we went back and, did, you know, had a real drummer do it, uh, which was uh, Dion. Because, right. of course... God knows where I took those loops from on the, on the drums. <laughs> so uh, we went in and did, did it at a place called Double Time, uh, Jeff Forrest. It's just a local studio. He's done, you know, the Locust and the Cattle Decapitation. And, uh, you know, back, back a long time ago, he did like Rocket from the Crypt. He's, he's been in San Diego for, say, 30 years. Um, kind of a, a punk studio. He's never been a, a metal guy. It's, he's not a, a real digital or direct studio at all. So the drums, the drums were recorded live with no click. Um, there was times where, you know, I wanted something laid down with a click, but it sounded kind of mechanized. And I would grid out. We'd look at Dion on the grid, and he was right in it anyways. And he knew that he wanted to lay back on certain parts. And it just... And I think the proof's in the pudding. When you listen to the record, it has a feel. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like all the classic records I like, all the classic punk records 
and all the classic hardcore records I like, and of course all the classic rock records I like, were not done to a metronome or a click at all. So I really wanted to, and if you listen to, if you're on like, you know, Spotify is my primary means now, if it's not vinyl, it's Spotify. And every single thing, if you listen to like the new heavy metal, it is just mechanized, Pro Tools, clicked, chopped, sampled drums. And it's just over and over perfection, digital, sterile, you know. And then it's like finally you hear somebody who stands out from those playlists. Because, you know, I'll just I'll be at work and I'll just turn on the new whatever, you know. The, the new metal whatever, just as background noise, as white noise. And every single metal song, double bass, whatever, is are these gridded mathematical performances that are barely human. Well, they and, literally aren't because in most cases, the, all that stuff is like edited around and like the hits are corrected. And Well, if, if they're even corrected at all or if, if they're laid down with the like i said the stephen slade or the i mean i'm i'm probably like i said i'm an amateur when it comes to that but they were probably done 100 percent digital anyways yeah you know <laughs> so i i wanted like that feel that kind of old school feel on this record right and i i think we got it you yeah. know there's some like i say like there's some there's a few mistakes here and there but i i like to say those are our tiny little middle fingers throughout the record if if there's an off hit or a, a symbol here then those are your little fuck offs you know did uh, did you record any of this analog or you know all was it done uh no no it's it's really hard to find there he yeah. does have a two inch tape machine but dude two inch tape is fucking expensive yeah absolutely and, and man like really hard to find yeah <clears throat> that would have been cool though right to like <laughs> to yeah well i mean uh, a lot of our other records are, are done that way yeah um like uh, i'd say the good portion of our, our discography is two inch analog um and we did some of our early mastering at like a capital mastering with this guy named mark schlecky that was some kind of analog as well but uh you know it's expensive I mean, I even remember doing the, like, we wanted to do a reverse reverb vocal effect. Oh, yeah. Where they were, well, they were like, cutting and uh, using scotch tape and flipping over the tape. And we were actually cutting tape with reverb and flipping it over and remembering where they were and putting it in. So you can hear that on our early 16 records. But no, no, it's it's still into Pro Tools, but there's, you know... There's no heavy editing at all. No, and, you know, in fact, because there's no drum editing that got us away from the grid. So you can't really edit much if you're not on the grid. Yeah, it's true. Otherwise, it's out of time a little bit here. And exactly. There. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it would have made a bunch of stuff easy. So we just had to hammer it out to get the feel like, okay, this take was it. And that was it. And then we all had to build around that. Well, you know, you guys yeah. always had more like, like when I listen to 16, I hear, you know, the, the, the Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin kind of like, you know, maybe like COC or something like that, you know, like a bluesier kind of vibe to what you guys do. You know, I mean, 
it's not necessarily like double kick and blast beats like all the way through. So it, it really does lend itself to have like some of it, you know, behind the beat and everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not a, a stretch for us, but when thinking about a new record and, you know, uh, budget and how to do things as fast and as quick and dirty as possible, everyone you talk to is like, just do it direct and do it on a grid and do it to a click and we can edit this. And, and I just don't think it would have worked for us. I think we would have flopped. Yeah. <laughs> I think we would have lost what, what little magic we have, you know. When, when did 16 form, man? I mean, you guys have been around in one form or, or another for like 20 years, I think, right? Uh, 25. 25. 1991. 91. Damn, yeah. I didn't even think it was that long. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, so we were like, uh, I don't know, I might have been like 19 with a fake ID going to uh, shows in Long Beach and in L.A. on the first wave of uh, AMREP bands. So like Cows, um, you know, Jesus Lizard, maybe the first uh, John Spencer Blues Explosion. First, I remember Unsane when they toured in a Cadillac. Um, you know, I had a fake ID. I was just a kid and, uh, you know, I saw Tar, Tar Jackson. So that first wave of AMREP bands was like a big, I, and, uh, you know, and of course the, the sub pop bands in like 89 like and 88, uh, yeah. Soundgarden, Mudhoney and, uh, Nirvana Bleach, you know, even though I didn't get to, <clears throat> I mean, I saw Nirvana back then, um, and uh, Sonic Youth and Screaming Trees and all that. But that was, uh, you know, that was the... And and from there, before that was, you know, uh, hardcore. Uh, the Black Flag and Rollins Band. Rollins Band was a huge thing for me. I used to go see uh, Rollins speak when I was in high school. I had, a, I had a, a fake ID. I had a real ID. We had a ring in our high school of uh, fake birth certificates. <laughs> So we got, uh, this is before uh, the thumbprints. So we had a friend's mom who worked at a uh, center, a uh, birth center at Anaheim Hospital, Anaheim General Hospital. So some, one of our friends stole an official stamp. And then another friend who took graphic design, uh, we took graphic design in high school, uh, we made birth certificates in, and then we had an official stamp. So then we went and we made fake birth certificates and we were selling them to people. And we had a full ring going on. Dude, that's and some so balls, we all, man. We that's... all had fake IDs and fake driver's licenses when we were like 16 years old that said we were like 23 years old. Holy shit, man. Isn't yeah, that like a so, federal crime or something like that? Like, isn't that like... Um, you know, uh, statute of limitations. <laughs> um, I can I can say it and it was, you know, and it... it, it, it I didn't go out and get wasted. Um, it, I was able to go to all these shows. You know, I saw I saw Soundgarden at the Whiskey on the Louder Than Love tour. My car got towed. I parked illegally. My parents were super stoked on that. Um, but uh, you know, I was able to to go to start going to all these shows with these fake IDs. Uh, and I was skateboarding at the time too, so I was getting all these trespassing tickets for like skating pools. And I just fucking, you know, rack up a bunch of fines and tickets on one identity and just throw it away. Just get a new identity and oh fuck God. off. It was awesome. 
But uh, you can never you know, do so that. We, we started the band back then under that kind of pretense of just going to these shows all the time. Under the first the first wave of of uh, AMRAP bands was really going to Jabberjaw in L.A. Um, and uh, you know, L.A. in that time was before the riots. It was a kind of a simmering, dangerous place. And uh, you know. That uh, Jabberjaw had a, those series of seven inches that they put out, or like I don't know if they put them out, but there was like a series of seven inches that had their compilation, like similar to the Dope Guns and Fucking Amrep uh, comps that came out. It was like yeah, some of our first shows were at Jabberjaw. Yeah, so some of the the very first sixteen shows were ever at Jabberjaw. Yeah, that, that, um, was, a, that, that was a cool spot, man. Like back, back yeah, there. yeah, I saw a lot of really good shows there. And, uh, you know, a lot of kind of what taught me about, uh, you know, the whole aesthetics of playing guitar, of it didn't really, all the people I liked didn't have really much technical ability, but they just really played like they meant it. Did you, um, do you check out that amphetamine reptile uh, documentary that's out now? Have you seen that? I, I, you know, I have not. It's pretty damn of, good, of, man. Of all people, I really should. Yeah, I was uh, I was hip to that right away, man. That's like, you know, like, similar to you. That was like the second most important thing musically to happen to me in my life was like the AMREP stuff. Because like the th- the prior to that, I would say like SST had like the biggest impact on my life. Like when I was like in high school and and um, you know, like in my teens. I- and then, I like, would have to say I would have to, have to say that too. Like, remember when tapes were a thing? Yeah, yeah, totally. And you had the you had the tape player in your car in yeah. your house. Like, dude, every tape I had was SST all throughout high school. Yeah, you know, like Who's Could Do, Black Flag, you know, Minuteman, like all that stuff. Every single tape, like if SST put it out, I'd buy it. That's pretty much how I was, and uh, there was like uh, there's there was a record store. Like, I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in a town called Carmel, New York, which is closer to the Connecticut border. And uh, Danbury, Connecticut was, uh, like, um, a town. And there was a record store in Danbury called Trash American Style that a lot of East Coast, uh, you know, band people, like, love that place because it was, like, on the way between, like, Boston and New York City. And, uh, you know, in the 80s, like, Connecticut had, like, a, a big hardcore scene. There's a place called the Anthrax Club. And so, you know, it wasn't so unusual for there to be a great record store in like, a, you know, Connecticut, which is for the most part a wasteland, actually, you know, really. It's like Connecticut's like half-assed New England, not really New England. It's not really New York. It's just this like wasteland of like, you know, bedroom communities and whatnot. And um, that the guy who ran that, Malcolm, um, was like, all about SST records and Charles Manson and, you know, Henry Rollins and all that sort of stuff. And that was like, you know, at that young age, like getting, getting into that stuff was like probably the biggest significant cultural thing I could have done. And, uh, it wasn't until the AMREP stuff came out that, and they had an equally big impact on my life, you know, it was that early stuff too, you know? And I remember seeing, I, I saw it, uh, spoken word at this place in Santa Monica uh, called uh, McCabe's Guitar Shop, and it was Rollins, uh, Jim Carroll, and Hubert Selby. Oh shit! 
and it's at a place that maybe holds 40 people. And I was in high school. And uh, Jim Carroll has this whole bit about, uh, it was a comedy bit about uh, having uh, uh, pubic lice or crabs so bad that uh, him and his girlfriend would uh, put out big pieces of white paper and race them uh, and have pubic lice races. But uh, I remember getting there early, you know, because it was like a big deal yeah. uh, to see Rollins. And, uh, you know, there was maybe 30 people there to see. It was just no big deal. And um, Rollins gets off the bus uh, with a backpack on. And uh, we said something to him. I mean, we were just kids. And we're like, hey, Henry Rollins, hey, he takes the city bus. And he's like, well, what the fuck? You think I take the, the, the Bon Jovi Learjet kid? <laughs> I remember him saying that to me. I'm like, oh, you're so cool. I think there's a live recording from that Matt McCabe's place, I believe. I think that one of, there's a release of that, of one of those performances, I think. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty epic spot. Um, McCabe's guitar shop was pretty epic huh. for the spoken word. Yeah, it's funny because I have most of those like spoken word records or you know CDs or whatever, and there was like live at McCabe's, and I guess that must be the place. In my mind, it was like a venue, like that held like 500 people. But <laughs> I guess it's like a little tiny shop with like 40 person capacity, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was like uh, it was on Pico, and uh, you know, it's it's nice now, but uh, back back then, before the LA riots, dude, Pico and the 10 freeway was not nice. So it was like kind of. You know, from from white kids from the beach community, uh, we were like just entering a different world. We were just like tourists. Have you um, tourists? There, there's a book that that came out called uh, "Disco's Dead Murders In." Have you heard of that? Uh, you know, I have heard of it. Yeah, but Feral I've never House read put it. it out. Feral House put it out. It's about. It's like basically a memoir of. Uh, Oh yeah, the gangs, right? Frank the Shank, <laughs> and uh, I got like thirty pages left. Um, you know, it's like pretty fucked up, man. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've experienced gang like heart, like punk rock gang culture out here on the East Coast, but it seems like uh, like the West Coast in LA, in particular, like it was on a whole other level out there at during the eighties. That was kind of for real. Like, uh, there was a place called Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach. I, I saw Bad Brains. Um, I saw Agnostic Front. Uh, you know, it was a place to see hardcore shows, and it was definitely a scary spot because uh, Long Beach was a big gang. I mean, because it was a big gang city anyways. So when the uh, – and it was a, a heavily violent scene anyways, but – when the there was, I remember one gang in particular called the Lads, which were called the L.A. Death Squad. Yeah, they write about and, it in the book. Uh, they were always at shows, and uh, they would just basically beat the whole place up. Um, but uh, you know, I, I remember being at one show at Fender's, and I think it was Bad Brains on the Eye Against Eye tour, which was just Bad Brains at their height, or no, at the Reseda Country Club, uh, and it was Bad Brains just at their height of power. You know, it might have been Bad Brains and Leeway. Oh, yeah, that was a tour. Yep. Yeah, it was just fucking amazing. And uh, just 
real sketchy scene, you know, like just real, real Los Angeles, East LA gang members. At least I remember it, uh, you know, real, real, the threat and the, the real violence. I mean, I, I had gotten jumped a few times back then. Just get your head kicked in for nothing, you know. Just no reason at all. <laughs> just you know, just just get uh, either knocked out and kicked, you know, a hundred ways sideways for no reason. So you're like, great. One summer, I got fucking jumped because they like I was skating at some place, which I was so smart. We used to skate a spot in the L.A. River, which is you know a real safe spot to skate. <laughs> uh, so we'd skate this bank inside the LA river and like, like a bunch of dudes roll up on us and this dude. And then like, when you have a skateboard with you, they call it your ghetto pass. Cause they're like, you're like, nah, no one will bother the skaters. And uh, again, this is before the riots where like LA was just a simmering cesspool. And uh, you know, it was just boiling. And um uh, these guys come up to us and they're just like, did you paint that? And I'm he like, looks over and he points at a swastika and I'm like, uh Oh, and, uh, that's the last thing I remember to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, cause I was like just nearly kicked to death. Uh, and I, I woke up later and, uh, I was fine. Like I, I got like knocked out, but I was like, they just, I don't know. Someone came or I don't know. You know, I, I was just, they just like got bored. I don't know. Like, and I was knocked unconscious and I was pretty fine. Uh, my shirt was torn. I was kind of bruised, but I was not fucked up at all. So I was basically got my ass kicked for being white. Okay. Later on that summer, I was with my black friend who's this pro skater named Ray Barbie. And this is actually in the, in the Vans book and me and Ray Barbie and a couple other people roll up to the show in Huntington beach uh, for this band called HFL. They were called Hard, Fast, and Loud. And I don't know, we were like in in Huntington Beach skating somewhere anyways, and Ray's black, and he's like one of the most famous black pro skaters of all time. And we roll up into this show because we're like, hey, there's a show going on. Let's go to the show. And it's full of Nazi skinheads. And oh they come up to us and automatically are going to jump us. And so we're like, awesome. Let's get the fuck out of here. So we start running from Nazi skinheads. And yeah, so in the same summer, I was uh, on different ends of the race spectrum terror. So the first, uh, uh, the first group of guys that beat you up were uh, black gentlemen that beat you up? Uh, Hispanic. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they're just Hispanic. So, yes, I was beat up because uh, definitely because we were white. Uh, and then the uh, the next gentlemen uh, were uh, Nazi skinheads because we were with a black guy. Uh, we were we were beat up because we were with a black guy. Uh, so, yeah, good, good times. In the summer of love. <laughs> you uh, you couldn't win that summer, I guess. No, no, definitely. But uh, as as all things happened, I think the. Uh, the city finally burnt down in the L.A. riots, and uh, as with all riots, uh, the the crime rate went down, and uh, it's just been hunky-dory ever since. <laughs> Speaking of uh, riots in Los Angeles, uh, did you check out that um, that O.J. Simpson um, 
like a mockumentary or whatever the hell you want to call it, that uh, People versus OJ with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. playing OJ Simpson? I didn't. Dude. I didn't. I heard the 30 by 30 is even better, though, the Sports oh. Illustrated or the, the, the ESPN one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, I said that came up. I saw that. Um, I watched the trailer for that, actually. It looks pretty good. But, um, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I was I remember that time very vividly. And it just seemed like the most like surreal thing that this guy, O.J. Simpson, who, you know, was a football star. Um, he's been in he was an airplane. You know, I mean, when, when you say O.J. Simpson, I think of him an airplane. I don't think of him as like. A, murder, a decapitator of women or anything like that but fucking um, brutal dude i'd forgot i you know you kind of as time goes by the details of that murder sort of get like you know you know glossed over a little bit you, know, you don't really remember the gruesomeness of what he what actually transpired in that of it's how like, he fucking decapitated and disemboweled two people yeah dude it's like on par with like the tate labianca murders man it's crazy you know yeah absolutely yeah and the bloody mess that it all was we were actually uh 16 was on tour in japan when that happened we had went to japan with the artist Pusshead. oh wow damn yeah, that's that's a pretty crazy pr- story. Pusshead had put out our record, Curves That Kick, and we were playing L.A. to like 15 people. And uh, Toys Factory, the record label, put out Curves That Kick. So we didn't even know we had a, a real record label there. And uh, I guess it sold well enough for us to be flown out there and to tour. Wow. And so here we are in Tokyo. We play like two or three shows at this place, the Shinjuku Loft. We play in, uh, you know, to like 200, 300 people. It's crazy with our first album. And, uh, and then we're sitting there in the hotel, you know, in culture shock anyways, as like, you know, people who have never left America and uh, people who have never played to more than 20 people ever. At, at Jabberjaw, and then we see this uh, the high speed chase, and we're like, "OJ, <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. This is just all too surreal." But yeah, that dude. I mean, he's in jail now under something that you know you or me would get uh, probation for, probably. Oh yeah, man. Because like. Yeah, I mean, the outcome of that trial, like, so much of it had to do with, like, not wanting to get L.A. burned down again by, like, rioters, you know? And then, like, it's, you know, fucking karmically, I guess, the pendulum swung the other way on O.J. And uh, they were just waiting to throw the book at him for something, you know, to get his comeuppance. Do you know that he had a reality show after that? After, that- the, after, the, after he was acquitted of the murders? Uh-huh. I yeah, dude, look that. it up. It's fucked up. And it was like Reality where show. OJ plays practical jokes on people. That's uh that's that's got to be like some pretty off-color shit, man, honestly. I mean, you know, cuz like there was like such a division and there are most, you know, there were people who, you know, in my opinion rightly so believed the decapitated, you know, Nicole. And then he has a uh, this fucking lighthearted <laughs> reality show afterwards. It was a it was a prank show called Juiced. Juiced. 
Yeah. <laughs> I have to look that up, man. It's it's not good. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not good. I just want to see like maybe on YouTube like an excerpt or something of it. It was like a, a punk spinoff, but uh, yeah. Are you guys doing uh, any any European touring? Probably uh, next year. We our last <laughs> our last European tour was a fucking disaster, man. Like we went over there with uh, with Black Anvil last year, and uh, to play we played Roadburn, which was great. You know, and um, yeah, of course, I mean, yeah, that was fucking amazing. But that that had nothing to do with the guy who booked the tour, though. We were booked by this fairly pretty pretty big agency over there, and the the guy that I guess some fucking kid from the mailroom or whatever, um, graduated up to becoming a, uh, a an agent, so he ended up booking our tour. You know, you know probably at the same time uh, getting coffee for everyone else in the office. So. Um, he completely fucked that tour up, man. It was just horrible. We almost didn't get it. Getting, we almost didn't even make it to Roadburn. <laughs> we almost didn't make it to the UK because our work permits were never sorted out, and it was a fucking. Oh my god. Yeah, it was. It was horrible, man. I mean, morale was pretty low on that tour, but you know, we made the best of it. And um, so now we're you know we're uh, actually signing to a new label and getting. Um, you know, a new agent over in Europe and, uh, you know, to changing up the, the, the crew a little bit, you know, going moving forward. When's, uh, when's that all that going to transpire? Uh, well, we already, we signed a metal blade and, um, so that should be fun. Nice. And then, uh, the re- we're going to record the new album in January and, um, that's going to be down in Florida with Eric Rutan again. Nice. And, uh, you know, we're doing this tour in November, and then there's a couple of things that uh, Ron, our mutual friend Ron Martinez, who, you know, we work with as a booking agent, he um, is uh, investigating some uh, some opportunities for next year. You know, and... I've actually signed on with Tone Deaf. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know what though? Honestly, they um, there's a. What's what's your agent's name? Jake or something? That was that his name. Yeah, Jake. At that guy's really good, man. He books um, he books thirteen forty nine. Yeah, yeah. He did yeah. a great job on that tour. I mean, that that everyone speaks really highly of that guy. So I I I back that completely. I think that was cool. Well, I I just uh, for one, I mean, we're not the most uh, road active. Yeah. So I I realize we're probably a hard sell for Ron, um, and and for two. We we team we're easily we easily team up better with their roster with Tone Def's roster. Yeah, yeah. I only really so, know. I think he books Vatnet Viscar, um, thirteen forty nine. Uh, who else? Yeah, trap them. I oh, think okay, Woe Fat. I mean, he's got a bunch of people cool. that uh, young and in the way. Yeah, those guys are pretty good. Yeah, I saw them a few times. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's cool, man. Uh, Metal Blade's a good good home for you guys. I think so. I mean, I'm nothing against relapse. I, I mean, I, I had nothing but really good experiences working with those guys. I mean, I actually am a little sad that we're not signing, re-signing to them or moving over to, to Season of Mist because, uh, you know, Gordon's the, the guy over Seasons now. Yeah. And uh, I just, I liked, I liked keeping it like, you know, New York, Philly kind of thing, you know, like East Coast, like tri-state area kind of vibe. 
but um, you know, I, it's a it's a different opportunity to work with a label like uh, Metal Blade, you know, which I think is like, you know, a different different type of resources and that kind of stuff. Well, I think too, it's like you're just covering like you've covered the base of relapse so well you know what i'm saying yeah like you you've covered like to speak in the cheesiest demographic uh business terms you know you you've already covered the angle uh that relapse can cover for you and it's it's time to to branch yeah Uh, i see that and, and and metal blade has got this cool lineage too oh dude Fucking King Diamond, Merciful Fate, Metallica, like fucking, you know, yeah, it's it's like they, you know, they were around during the thrash era. They I mean, they, they put out so many great records too, and like you know, it's just it's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. You know? I think the fucking the heroes, the heroes of Metal Blade, are Goat Whore. Oh, dude, fuck yeah, yeah, those Goat guys, Whore yeah. is the fucking hardest working band in metal. I don't know them. I don't. No, pe- I don't even know people who know them. I might know people who know them, but their records don't fuck around no, ever. No, yeah, they're they're they come they come to fucking kill you, man. They're they're they a- keep they keep getting better every time, like, and yeah, they keep getting better every time. They're on the road all the time. They are, hundred percent. They are, man. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I know um Sammy, the guitar player, and Ben, the singer. Um, I don't really know any of the other guys in the band well. Yeah. They're really nice guys, dude. Like, really nice guys. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. Like, Rutan, Rutan uh, records their records, too. And that's actually how I got to meet Sammy because uh, I had some, like, guitar. I needed some guidance on some guitar stuff, you know, like, recording-wise. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, you know, more than happy to, to point me in the right direction on some stuff, like, regarding pickups and things like that. So... Are, are you guys when I uh, I don't know if you're going to include all this on the podcast, but I don't care if you do. Uh, when uh, you uh, when you record with Rutan, because I love Rutan's work. Like, oh, yeah. Um, I, as far as I'm concerned, he can do no wrong. In fact, Rutan makes me like bands. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Um, and, I, and I hate to say like I, I hate to be one of those guys because I was never really into to Madball, I know that's sacrilege to a lot of Dude, people. Dude, don't you don't gotta make those just, disclaimers to me, man. That's just that's just not my bag. Yeah, you know neither. what I'm saying. That's just not my bag. However, when he did the record that infiltrate the system, I think it's called. Yeah, I don't with even know Rutan. Dude, that record rules because of Eric Rutan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played a couple of tracks when we were down there, and it sounded great. I mean, my my thing with Madball, it's like I I give them like props because they operate like a professional band you know what i mean like there there's a lot of clownery going on out here in like the new york hardcore realm yeah and uh they're not one of the bands that are involved in stuff like that it's like you know as far as like being professional like going out there and really being a band and like touring all touring europe and like hitting the states and like like doing things that like like sick of it all is another band too that's you know just doing it doing the damn thing like they're doing the thing the way it should be done you know there's no bullshit yeah yeah dude i i think it's uh the Madball uh empire that he did uh and and, and all the goat whore records that he did yeah um yeah I, i'm a fan of eric rutan as a producer 
Like he, like I said, he makes me like the band. Yeah, it's, he's one. He, he's he's one of those producers. Well, you know, a, the guy. There's only a few guys out there who understand how to record like fast drums. You know, and uh, he's definitely one of them. And I think that's primarily why we wanted to work with him. Like we we worked with him on Savage Gold, and uh, and I, I, my whole thing was like, yeah, the the, the fast drumming, like it, everything has to. You have to be able to hear everything. Instead of just like this wash of like snare and stuff, you know. And Andrew Andrew's work on that is just stellar. Oh, thanks. Man. I'm sure you know he he put a lot of time and effort into it, and emotionally, it wasn't the best setting for him either because his mom had literally passed away like weeks before we started recording that record too. And, uh, yeah, I kind of I went through the same thing with my dad as cancer, same yeah, kind of deal. It's fucking brutal, man. Yeah, and, literally and, just kind of like died in my arms that's horrible but, uh, i'm sorry to hear that uh, it's you know it's it, it is the inevitable part of life yeah yeah it um, is definitely you know that we all that we all have coming but uh as, as far as all all his drums were done organically and then it was resampled or did he um yeah i mean the, yeah he, he tracked the, all the drums and then like you know there's there's like a little um you know, fix fix this here, fix that yeah. there. Yeah, and also just like uh, like it's not. I'm not gonna say the word triggers, but there's like yeah, yeah, like sound reinforcement, meaning like just to make the kick drums like pop a little bit more. There's like a, a there's the actual drum, and then like a little bit of a sample in there to make it like yeah, punch. yeah, like the the either like the slate or something. Yeah, it's not just like uh, you know electronic drums and fucking triggers. Like when you listen to like Pantera or something like that, you know, it's like a typewriter. You know, yeah, yeah, like it's not that at all. It's like real drums and like just a little, a little reinf. I mean, that, and that's that's what I'm saying about Rutan. It's like he understands like the the art of recording fast drums and double kick and blast beats and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, and that was right that was the height of like Andrew's infatuation with playing fast. I think you know it was on that record. So <laughs> at least in tunes, you know. So that was cool. <laughs> How many, uh, are you guys going for like shorter or longer songs? What are you guys doing? Um, it's pretty much all over the map, really. I mean, it's like a lot of it's similar to the stuff that came out on the EP that we did earlier this year. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that the songs aren't as fast. Like there's like less like, you know, fast songs on there. It's a little bit more, um, I'm not going to say atmospheric, but like more like mid tempo. Like kind of like Celtic Frost and like Triptychon style tempos, like that kind of vibe, you know, just like, okay. yeah, like a lot of double kick, but like more laid back sounding, I guess, you know, not, not as like over the top with like the blast beats and stuff. I got this crazy, crazy goal to start work. Well, I have been start working on like everything is like under four minutes. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. like this record, I, I like everything is like four to or most of the songs are six to eight minutes. Some of them, I, I, I really packed a lot of riffs in some of these songs. So I want to I want to bring it back around and just try to craft these like three thirty to four minute songs. That's pretty cool, That's, man. 
like uh you know more like not like a pop sensibility but like they're like you know rock and roll songs like they're fucking uh, that's kind of like what i've been doing like uh at least you know like if i work on new shit i i, I just you know I, i've been trying to like get to the point don't fucking bore us get to the chorus <laughs> you know like uh you know watch watch my key changes of course but uh you know, like I, I want to keep things compact and watch my, I really want to work on my arrangements. I, I think my riffs uh, are always, um, I think I've developed that skill good enough. Yeah, definitely, man, for sure. Um, but uh, I, I think my arrangements need some tightening up and to cut the shit. So I've been trying to like, hey, there's no need to do this 12 times. <laughs> Yeah, dude, totally. That's that's a that's a shortcoming that a lot of people fall into is like beating the shit out of like particular riffs and just you know. Yeah, hard. man. F- four to eight, you're done. Just get to it. Move on. Yeah, like the only band that can do that is like like Helmet. Sometimes, like in the early Helmet records, you know, they would like just take that one riff and just beat it into the ground, and like there have been a million bands that have tried to do the same thing, but they just, they don't have the same like power that that band had. I th- I think, well, they did it because they were there first. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and you only get to be there first. Yeah. yeah. You know, dude, too bad about helmet. <laughs> oh, dude. I, after like meantime was it for me, man, even Betty, I didn't really care for, you know, it's like, they're, you know, the stuff they did on Amrep was great. Meantime was cool. And then, like, Betty was like, some of it was good, some of it wasn't so good. And then after and that, that was it. I that just lost, it. totally lost interest in them after that. You know, I mean, we um, we actually got offered a tour with them a few years ago. And I was just like, oh, is anyone even going to go? You know, is I, it know like, huh? I mean, they were still banging it out with, like, Paige Hamilton and, like, no one, I don't know, like, Rudy Sarzo from, like, quiet riot or something was playing bass i don't know something like that dude uh that one they did that one for interscope it was like big production uh and it it was uh frank bellow from anthrax oh yeah Uh uh-huh and uh john tempesta uh and when john tempesta played with uh testament yeah uh i i i'm a huge fan of john tempesta yeah yeah, fuck yeah. I, I think John Tempesta is a fucking amazing drummer, man. Well, John, like, I, I think, so John Tempesta played on that album, Size Matters, and there's definitely some moments on it. If someone could, like, remix or just re-edit that album, someone should just re-edit that album. Maybe I should do it. Yeah, you should do it, man. Just fucking <laughs> re-edit Helmet Size Matters to, like, the best riffs so it's listenable. And take out all those fucking horrible choruses. Well, you know, um, it's funny you talk about Testament, man. Like, you know, like they, there's always the big four and thrash, you know, and Anthrax is always in- included on that list. Yeah. Dude, fucking Testament should be there instead of Anthrax, in my opinion. Dude, I love Testament. Yeah, dude. They, they were a solid, awesome band. And they, and I think Anthrax, you know, and this is like a very unpopular opinion to have, especially in the location that I'm, I'm talking from, you know, here in New York. Yeah. Uh, Anthrax were fucking cut rate, man, in my opinion. You know what I mean? I was, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm not a fan of, uh, Anthrax at all. 
and because of mid range in the guitar. Okay. Um, and when it, there's too much mid range in the guitar. Yeah. And it just, and I don't know why, you know, I, I do not know why, but, uh, Testament always did it for me. The, the legacy. I, I mean, dude, I listen to the new shit. Oh dude, the new shit's great. Fuck yeah. Totally, man. Oh my God. Testament. Like I, I just did this interview for terrorizer yeah. and I totally, they're like, how long do you continue doing this? And I'm like, I don't know how old is Testament because they're making the best albums of their career. Yeah. And they, they seem, I, those guys are like what, 15 years older than me. Oh yeah. They're, they're so, older dudes. Yeah. You should have told the guy, why don't you go fuck yourself? That's what you should have said to him. I know, huh? You know, like, yeah. Well, like, why are you asking? Well, you ask, uh, you know, how long are you going to be a fucking douchebag and ask douchebag questions like that to people? You <laughs> no, it was, it was Jose. That guy's cool. Oh, all right. Okay. He was, he was like, how long, <laughs> you know, how long, how long do you think you can do this? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Look at Testament because they still rule, you know? Well, yeah. Do pra- practice what you preach. Yeah. The gathering, everything. Fi- I, <laughs> to quote the office, I celebrate their whole cat. Yeah, man. Totally. Yeah, that's uh the gathering is that's we we listen to that in the van a lot. Actually, you know what what's a good <laughs> completely not a testament record, but I just started appreciating Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden. Fear of the Dark. Yeah. That's you know what's weird? That's it's like dude, a okay, I'm one. fucking forty three years old. And you know, I was clearly in the hardcore and in the punk camp my whole life. Yeah. And and the metalers were the enemy, you know, how, because I come from the, I mean, you're, you're around the same age as me that, you know, those, those are the jocks and those, those are the metal heads and whatever. And, uh, so my crossover happened in my thirties, you know, like I got into Slayer. I mean, we got to play with Slayer. Really? Uh, Holy yeah, shit. yeah. At 16 got to play with Slayer. Wow. Uh, yeah. On, um, not on God hates us all. Look at me. I'm such a jackass. I don't even know when my own band played with Slayer. Um, and it's it's an awesome Slayer record. Um, Christ Inversion? Um, no, it was about 1993. Oh, all right. So it was, uh, it was like uh, 1993. Uh, that wasn't... Um, it's a fucking pissed record, dude. Um, Divine Intervention. Oh, Divine. Yeah, it's, it had the dude from... Uh, the other guy, uh, Bostoff, yeah, Pete Bostoff. Yeah, we played like three dates. We played Las Vegas. We played Bakersfield. Um, there's there's like videos of you on YouTube of it of uh, of us opening up for him. Uh, that song Ditto Head is fucking amazing, dude. Slayer still uh, manages to do it too, man. Like we were talking about guys like getting older and still just crushing, you know? Yeah, dude. But but back to Testament, they still fucking kill. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. They're, like, they're Eric Peterson is a fucking amazing musician and riff writer. Uh, so what are you saying about, uh, what was it, Fear of the Dark? Yeah, it's like our drummer, Charlie, is like really into um, a lot of like th- like the metal records like by bands that of their later catalog, which a lot of times those records get overlooked by uh, unless you're like a hardcore fan. Like, you know, for me... Iron Maiden, I, I really only really like the Paul Diano records. And, uh, you know, I, I like Bruce Dickinson, but the Killers and the self-titled Maiden records are like, that's the jam. When I listen to Maiden, I listen to Killers. I don't listen to, you know, whatever, fucking 
uh, you know, the later shit. Like, I don't listen to Number of the Beast. I listen to Killers. Charlie, yeah, I, uh... you know, one day we were, we were driving, we were leaving, like, Pittsburgh or something, and he put on Fear of the Dark, and it's, like, a lot of it's, like, it's, like, kind of, like, more dynamic shit, like, clean guitar and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is really cool. But then, like, really technical and, like, musically proficient, too. And I'm like, wow, this is, like, pretty cool stuff. So God, Steve Harris, though, come on, man. Oh, yeah, that oh, guy. God. Unbelievable, you know. But um, Yeah, he doesn't fuck around. I saw Slayer last summer, actually, at the, you know, every year they do that Mayhem Fest, I think it's called. And it's like, you know, like one of those, like, rock star energy drink, you know. Mm-hmm. There's, like, fucking 20 bands on the bill. But this year it was uh, King Diamond and Slayer, or last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I went down to Jersey the PNC uh, Arts Center there off the Jersey Turnpike and uh, or the Garden State Parkway excuse me Jersey guys out there listening uh, <laughs> the uh, and they were they were great and but what stuck out the most in their set was actually the clean singing of Tom Araya and it was like you know how like on every Slayer record there's like the songs that there's like they have like they're almost they're not ballads, but there's like a, they're slower. There's like some clean singing, and those are the ones you kind of like. All right, cool. You know, these are cool, but I'm not really gonna you know go off as hard when these songs are playing. You know, but um, that live setting when I saw them the last time, those were the ones that stuck out. Were the ones that were like more like there's like a vibe, clean vocals, and I was like, wow, like I finally understood. I think what they were going for in those songs. You know, Dude, are you talking about like Seasons in the Abyss? The song yeah, Seasons yeah, in the Abyss? Exactly, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's not, That's... it's like mid tempo. There's like clean vocals. It's not like blazing, like, you know, like Rain and Blood or something like that, you know? Dude, the song Seasons in the Abyss and the song off the the, the Undisputed Attitude, mm-hmm. the, the covers album. Mm. The song Gemini. Yeah, fuck yeah. Th- that's like one of my favorite Slayer songs is that song Gemini. Yeah. And that's like a total sacrilege thing I have too. The, but, yeah, they're, they're just moodier. There's like a moody like vibe to them. And, and when they play them live, it totally caught that mood. I was like, wow, now I understand why they wrote these songs. It was cool, you know? Oh, they can, they can like capture the vibe to, you know, 6,000 people. Yeah. But I think, like, there's something about, like, capturing that on a record that maybe fell a little short than hearing them do it live. You know, and that's all I'm saying. And, you know, I mean, I love I think it's I think it has to do, too, with the uh, the expectation, too. It's, you know, those songs are always placed last. Mm. Uh, I think there's an interview, too, that um, uh, to quote. Carrie King was every song or every album gets one pussy song. <laughs> you know, like yeah. some recent interview with him. And if you look back, everything like they have one like purposely hooky kind of yeah, you're right, the Slayer version of the ballad. Yeah. I mean it's not a ballad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like, yeah, it's slower, it's moodier, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, another one of the big four that I could just never be sold on except for one album was Megadeth too. Amen, dude. I am. And what? Which record by them do you like? Uh, the Hanger one, whatever that fucking thing is. Oh, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the blue one. one. Yeah, the blue one. <laughs> you I, know, I, like I don't s- even know what it's called. Like, I just am not a. I'm 
I don't know, man, not, you know, it came out in high school and I just remember all those assholes <laughs> who were into them. Uh, was it, uh, God damn it. What is that? Uh, Rust in Peace. Rust in Peace. Yeah. Yeah. I, never a big fan of Megadeth either. I like select songs like Peace Cells. I think it's cool. Like I can appreciate some of the playing on those records. And I think that's really their big contribution to thrash metal was like that level of musicianship that they brought. But um, they just didn't. The lyrics I thought were fucking stupid on every every goddamn song that Mustaine wrote. He wrote ridiculous fucking lyrics. I thought. You know, uh, you know the the riffs the riffs on uh, Techno Prisoners, uh, were uh, yeah the musicianship and the riffs are amazing, but uh, yeah. Give me a break on those lyrics. Yeah, and again, I, I could never get past the the cultural, my my own bias of, oh, yeah, you guys are the enemy. Oh, yeah, we're the metalheads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, this is the wrong scene. I think uh, um, it's those those that whole shit. It runs deep. Yeah. Like for when I was growing up, um, I, I was definitely, I, I have to say I'm more of a metalhead than a punker or whatever, a hardcore guy. But uh, I love, I mean, the reason why, it's like, I grew up listening to metal. And like the kids in, that I grew up with that listened to metal were all like these like wasters, you know, like dudes who are like, you know, smoking cigarettes and, you know, and uh, getting their girlfriends pregnant and, you know, driving around in like fucking Camaros and shit like that. You know what I mean? driving Camaros and shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like they're not, they're not really like, you know, and I, I didn't really, I didn't definitely didn't fit in with those guys either, you know, but, yeah. but the power of the music is like what really got me. And then what turned me on to punk was hearing black coffee by black flag. And I was like, Oh shit, this is like fast black Sabbath. And that's when I started my, uh, you know, road into, oblivion with like listening to hardcore and getting into the you know that whole thing and then you know then circle jerks bad brains you know i you know i was such a brainless kid that it's like i would read interviews with henry rollins telling me that thin lizzie was cool yeah and then i would and black sabbath was cool and then i'd be like oh so it's okay to like this <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of that too, man, for sure. That's actually how I got into Beasts of Bourbon, that band Beasts of Bourbon. Have you ever checked them out? What was it called? Beasts of Bourbon. They're like an Australian. Bourbon. Yeah, Beasts of Bourbon. They're, I've um, never heard of them. Oh, dude. They're like an Australian rock band, uh, which um, I read about them in like uh, one of Rollins's tour books that he had out and it was like oh this band sounds cool it's like they're basically if you took acdc and like the rolling stones and maybe the cramps and like kind of cross-pollinated all all three of those that's kind of what they sound like with like a little bit of like a nick cave kind of vibe with the vocals and um dude, again music rules i'm 43 and i'm just hearing this now dude they're, every every record is great by them. Look them up on go on YouTube like later tonight or whatever. Go check them out on YouTube. It's like they have. Um, I'm just looking at it right now on fucking uh, on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's probably on Spotify too or whatever. Like probably all that stuff. But um, actually, it's funny when I when coincidentally there's a live album called The Low Road, which um 
they cover uh, Ride On by, by ACDC and Cocksucker Blues by the Rolling Stones. So there you go. That's the, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones sort of connection, Rolling Stones, ACDC kind of thing. Rad. But I love those. There's like some about Australians, like Australian rock music, you know, like. Oh, shit, man. Yeah, like fucking, you know, Nick Cave, you know, Beast Suburban, the Cosmic Psychos, Lubricated Goat, like all those bands. There's like, even though none of those bands sound alike, there's something, there's some thread of attitude between all those bands that's the same, you know. You know, there's something about Australian people, too, because all the pro skaters I know that are uh, Australian are uh, all exceptional uh, in their ability and their courage and uh, and their attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a wild country. And, yeah. Yeah. And the, the pro surfers, too. There, there's something about Australian people. They, I, I don't know what it is. You know, it's funny that, that going back to that AMREP documentary, there's actually some pretty good interview footage with Stu Spasm from uh, from Lubricated Goat. I was going to say, from Lubricated Goat? Yeah. Who, you know, and, and they, yeah, that was a band I was way into back then. Um, just because oh, the name. Rose Tattoo, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go, man. Nice Boys. Yeah. yeah Rose Tattoo is another band. You know, that's, um, yeah, there's just something, there's like a hooligan like vibe of that all those bands just have. Like even Nick Cave, like there's like this hooligan birthday, even the birthday party. Is that the dude with the mustache? Oh, fucking, fucking Radio Birdman. Yeah, dude. It's like, yeah. you know, they're just Have like, you ever been to Australia? No, never. I've never been to Japan either, bro. Never. Dude. Dude, I just got back, uh, I just took my family to Portland. Portland, uh, Portland just, Oregon? Like, some crazy, like, what do you want to do for vacation? I'm like, let's just go here. Let's just go to Portland now. Let's just go here, and uh, and, and it turned out totally epic. Like you liked it. Water waterfalls. Like we went on, you know, every hike. We went on a hike where we saw like the West Coast largest waterfall here. We went to this waterfall, this waterfall, this waterfall, this outlaw skate park. You know, this place, this place. All in like two days. Just rented a car, flew up there, just punked it. But, uh, you know, just kind of went for it. I don't think I got the budget to, to punk it and go to Australia, though, with that kind of airfare. Dude, that's that's yeah. like a, a journey, too, man. That's like a 23-year... I mean, that, that actually, isn't that like a 30-hour plane ride or something like that? Flight? 27 hours 27 or something. Hours? It's supposed to, like, really fuck you up, too. I, I don't doubt it, dude. You know? Yeah. I'm sure, that, that, that can't be good for you, like, physically, to do that. No, I'm always out of sorts, too. So, you know... So have you been have you been training at all? Oh yeah, a lot actually. I just um, I switched gyms. I'm working out at this place uh, called the Physical Culture Collective, and they have uh, it's mostly a Muay Thai camp, and uh, but they also do like you know all that kind of like uh, you know kettlebell, body weight, you know push, pushing sleds and shit like that, and they have like a small like jujitsu program there too. But uh, but I've been training like pretty much four days a week at least. Sometimes like like today I trained for two hours. Yesterday I trained on Monday, Tuesday I trained for two hours. Uh, today it was like I want it was fucking so unbearably hot and humid that uh, I finished like the first uh, Muay Thai session at noon. And uh, Zach, the coach, he's like, they, like we yeah, we have an odd number of guys for the clinching 
session you, you know you want to you want to just do a few rounds and I'm, I'm like yeah all right you know a few few rounds fucking hour later i'm like walking out of the place and i'm just like was been like pissing yellow like all goddamn afternoon man just trying to get my hydration back you know jesus yeah yeah i'm still doing uh uh power lifting yeah you uh, you look you looked uh fucking like broad when i saw you the last time man like doing like, i'm actually uh um I'm I'm way thinner now. I've probably lost maybe 15 pounds. Oh, cool. Uh, so body weight because I've been fucking eating like I should be. But yeah. I've been a, I I hit it like four times a week with a a full strength and conditioning coach. Nice. That's awesome. So are yeah. you are you doing like a, a, Olympic style shit too, or just like powerlifting? Uh, yeah. Oli's uh just really difficult. Uh, but I I do these crazy uh dude there's some there's some olympic lifting uh <clears throat> complexes there's ones where you just hold the bar for 45 minutes wow so the the bar is 40 45 pounds yeah. and uh it's called positioning so there's a wednesday we do positioning with olympic lifting where you just hold the bar for 45 minutes straight so you 45 imagine minutes. get get in a get in a half squat and then hold the bar in position number one and then go up and then do your shrug and then do that like 15 or 20 times and then do an overhead squat and then do what's called a squat, a soft press and then do all these different things. You're never putting the bar down. Wow. Ever, ever. So you're, you're on fucking fire, but it, it builds your endurance crazy. Yeah. You, you know what I always found really interesting about like that type of lifting is like, yes, it definitely requires strength, but the technique that it requires too. And like the sort of neurological, like, like coordination of your body to, to, to move this like weight through space time. You know what I mean? It's totally maddening. It's totally difficult. I liken it to, uh, to fucking ballet or something like uh it's like you know i mean i I grew up skateboarding so there's like so many similarities to skateboarding between it because you you know to do a kickflip takes just as much effort as it does uh to do a good snatch uh and then and then when you got a certain amount of weight like i can't really snatch that much i mean i can for a, a novice i'm a total novice yeah but uh, for the most part, I just do the, uh, you know, those those crazy complexes. You know, the fucking yesterday I did the. Uh, do you ever do the like those those? It's like a CrossFit workout, a high intensity thing. I do the uh, a slam ball, oh, yeah. jump rope, mm-hmm. jump yeah. rope, and then burpees. Yeah, and you yeah. only you only give yourself ten seconds rest between each movement, and then you do five minutes total, and then you try to do that for three sets. And yeah. then when you're done, you run a quarter mile, and then you fucking barf. Yeah, we do know? stuff like that, and uh, just yeah, like, like not the quarter mile run, but like, like the uh, a the, sprint or something. Yeah, yeah. The sprints. Yeah, sprints. You do all that shit. Or the sled or those goddamn sleds. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I do that like one day a week. There's um, there's like a morning like semi private that I do with these guys, and it's uh, it's usually like three or four dudes, and um, 
<laughs> that's what I do. It's supposed to be a whole class, but only three of us show up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, this is like, you know, uh, we all agree to go at a certain time and, you know, whatever, and it's cool, but it's like, like, um, it's all circuits, you know, so you're pushing the sled, you're, you're doing planks and, you know, yeah, exactly. kettlebells yeah. and fucking, you know, like you're hanging and doing pull-ups and all that kind of shit, you know, it's like fucking strength shit, strength and conditioning. Then... After that, I do an hour of Muay Thai, which is fucking brutal. That's that's what I don't do that I, I think I should do. Yeah. Like, uh, I just do the strength and conditioning, and that's my workout. So and I don't do anything. You know, I do strength and conditioning or, like, kind of power lifting, like a squat heavy day or a bench day or an Olympic lifting day. But I don't – and I got all this time on my hands because uh, you know i work yeah of course my, my yeah. kids my kids 13 he's either at the skate park all the time my my wife is a busy lady she wants nothing to do with me <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know it's like i got like two hours a day where i either sit around playing guitar or like just kind of like hmm i guess i'll uh go back to the gym i don't know you know yeah I guess I'll not use drugs, you know? Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a good thing, and you know, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Drugs, know, at I'm least. at that stage where I know I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use drugs. So I'm going to, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about jujitsu, but then everyone's like, oh, you're going to hurt yourself. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now you're going to hurt yourself because I've gotten so many injuries. I'm actually taking a little bit of an extended break from doing jujitsu because that's, I dude, fractured. I've already, I'm like two shoulder surgeries deep, Yeah, dude. you know? I like um, fractured my ankle and I was pretty much out of condition, out of, out of uh, commission for like almost three months. So everybody who rolls jujitsu, even at a basic level, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to get a joint problem. You're going to get, I mean, I love doing it, but it's like, I, I love Muay Thai more than jujitsu. And like my, I was like so bummed that Muay Thai is Muay Thai's probably a little bit uh, realistic workout at my age. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is about Muay Thai is, like, you don't have to spar with anybody if you don't want to. You can just go there and, like, learn the movement and, like, kick pads and, you know. Yeah. Like, if you don't want to, like, actually get, you know, in, in into, like, a fighting kind of scenario, you don't have to spar. You can you can comfortably just get the great workout, you know. But, you know, I, I like sparring and all that. I mean, I, I like doing all that stuff, too. But the um, but in jiu-jitsu, it's like you're, you're – that's – half of what you're doing is like sparring with somebody you know and yeah and anything can happen by accident well and it's more dangerous at the beginner level because um you don't know what the fuck you're doing well and the other guy doesn't know what he's doing that's like the worst part about it like when i fractured my ankle it was it wasn't against like some high level dude it was like the coach wanted he was like you know i want you to work with this guy because he's only been training for like four months and he's like go easy and i'm like all right fine so we you know, we're going, this dude's going like, you know, full on and no, like not, no tech, no technique at all. And, um, totally just, fuck, just strength for it. Just, yeah. And like, I told him, I said, Hey man, let's, let's go easy. We'll flow and actually work on technique, you know? And, uh, and then like, he just fucking destroyed my, my ankle and like, uh, kind of fucked me up for a few months. Yeah, I'm gonna look into it. I mean, this is basically the fucking one of the capitals of the world for training here. Yeah, the San Diego, LA area. There's probably tons of places, man. Dude, there's there's Black House yeah. and a, Arena Gym all on my way home from work. 
See, there you go, man. Isn't there like a yeah. uh, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu down in San Diego, too? Uh, there's a, also a 10th Planet walking distance from my work. Oh, nice. And uh, you know who Jocko Willenick is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, dude. His gym. Uh, those, those fucking savages are out there at like 4 in the morning, too. Yeah. I can't do it that early, man. I can't. Like 8.30 is about the earliest that I can start exercising, honestly. You know? That's about it for me. I can't like if those guys who get up at five a.m. to go running. I just oh uh, no no I'm not that guy. I'm an after work guy. Yeah, I like mid I can, midday is good for me, but like that too early. I can stuff. barely get to work on time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hey, um, next uh, next weekend is uh, the big UFC two hundred two man. What do you think of that? No shit, dude. I'm totally. I got Diaz, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, definitely. come on, you can't you can't stop that boxing. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, McGregor's spent $300,000 preparing for this fight. Okay. I don't know what that is means or can get you. I don't know either, man. It's like, you can't buy time on the mat is really, because that's really what he needs. It's like, I mean, honestly, I mean, you, people are saying it now too, that like he, his, his um, you know, his, his uh, jujitsu game isn't bad. It's pretty good, but it's not nearly as good as, as either one of the Diaz brothers who have been doing it their whole life, you know? I, I just don't understand the weight class. Um, no, that's clearly. Yeah. Neither one of those no. guys are welterweights. They're, one guy competes at featherweight, and one guy, though, he, though Nate has had some welterweight bouts, has, is a, a, a lightweight, you know, he's a 155er. The the press the press is just gold with Nate though. I yeah. mean, it, it's just gold. Yeah. I mean, I get it that if there's, I mean, what is there? No, there's no title fight in this whole thing. But the the press when they interview Nate is just, you know, well, well I mean, what is some of the quotes like? Uh, well, Connor got his ass beat. You know. <laughs> yeah. just, just or you know, playing grab ass in the park and shit. Oh, there's like said to him. movement coach. Yeah. 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 Just, just, just pure gold. Yeah, pure I'm, gold. I'm, I haven't really been paying attention to uh, the press just because I'm like, I, I read about everything else, but whenever I see McGregor, I just look the other way because I just can't stand that fucking guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's luckily it's been uh, they haven't been hitting it that hard. Yeah. That last fight was funny as shit, though. Oh yeah, <clears throat> dude. And um, it's funny because I was watching uh, the Chuck Liddell Iceman. Uh, documentary that was on ufc fight pass earlier and uh back then man i, I kind of liked things better back then i think you know like the fighters were fucking cooler and like when they created they they were doing an interim title when tito was like injured where uh chuck had to fight randy couture who was coming down they brought him down because he you know two-time heavyweight champion they brought him down a light heavyweight to give some legitimacy to the um, interim title. You know? Well, I, I mean, come on. The, the pay-per-view and the, the numbers, I mean, now it's its own giant economy. Yeah. You know? I mean, they just sold that business for $4 billion. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, the belts and the fucking matches and, and these interim titles, none of this shit means anything anymore. And that's the thing I'm, I guess I'm speaking to you know for me 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it will be. When is it? Is it? Uh, it's Saturday. not this Saturday. It's next Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple other good yeah. fights on that card too. The uh, yeah. CM Punk is fighting. <laughs> That's got to be. I mean, from what everybody, what everybody says, his training's been kind of a joke. Dude, I, I don't really, I don't really understand the whole uh, WADA testing either. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really get it either because it seems like I, I actually don't even know enough about it to really talk intelligently about it. But it just seems like more they should there should have, be a definitive list of things that you can't take in supplement form. And I don't know if anyone's paying attention or what the deal is. But <laughs> I'll 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 speak intelligently about it because I take that shit. What do you uh, the HGH or something or steroids or whatever? Um. Yes and yes. Oh, really? No, uh, uh, no I don't take HGH, but uh, I, I take uh, testosterone okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're looking at someone who uh, you know I, I abused opiates uh, until my uh, you know early thirties. So my body doesn't make much testosterone. I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, I think you told me this actually. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, uh, you know, I was having these joint problems and shit. So, you know, like my, my body wasn't healing and uh, I got it tested and my, you know, my testosterone was like 170. So I'm just like, what the fuck, you know? So I just went and got on TRT and, uh, life is better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, but, you, but you actually have a deficiency. You're not just, you know. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, and it turns out like that deficiency is just being in your forties. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and, and being really stupid, uh, earlier in my life. Right. Um, you know, and I, I paid the price by fucking wrecking my endocrine system with hard drugs. Um, but, uh, what, what these guys are doing, I mean, Brock Lesnar, was on uh, an estrozole or, or uh, you know, Clomid. That's just an estrogen blocker. Yeah. All man. I can say is that, you know, I, I took a lot of stuff from GNC and uh, trying to make myself feel better until I got my labs done and said, oh, my God, that's the problem. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And then it's just like a real quick, easy fix. And yeah, you got to control your estrogen, but you know, I mean, I, I just think when there's that much money involved in any sport, like have you ever seen that bigger, faster, stronger? Oh yeah, that's documentary? A, I love that documentary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like taking fish oil. To be honest with you, unless you're doing superhuman doses, and then if you're doing superhuman doses, you got superhuman side effects, and then you're fucking things up again. Yeah. So. But but personally, I don't have anything bad to say about uh, uh, TRT or low dose because, Jesus Christ, what do you want to feel like garbage? <laughs> no, nah, dude. I mean, you know, I, I don't. I'm, I just said it's not. You're not involved in a competitive sport. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, on one hand, I can see like if you were, you know, there's money on the line and you're you're in a comp- competition with somebody that it's not a level playing field, in the sense that you guys aren't taking the exact same stuff. But then again, your physiologies aren't the same either. 
I think, you know, like that whole thing with uh, like cycling, you can't do an endurance sport like that without something like that, without destroying yourself. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, the guy that um, owns the gym that I train at, you know, he's basically, he's like, yeah, you know, he used to fight professionally, like in kickboxing, and he was just uh-huh. like, everyone was taking something. He's like, I used to take Anadrol and like, you know, it's it's like, it's naive to think that, Cause you're doing like six week fight camps, two or three workouts a day. Like there's no, it's not even like you're trying to, to get bigger. It's just so you fucking recover. It's, it has nothing to do with getting bigger. It has everything to do with surviving and recovering and healing. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, uh, the majority of people who train at any of these gyms are on something like that just because of that reason alone. Yeah. You know, definitely. Uh, you know, and it's like, and then it's like, show me the health risks. Well, there aren't really much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I saw that documentary and there's really, I, I got no problem with it, man. I just think, you know, that, that there's a rule that they have and you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it comes down to basic sportsmanship, though. Yeah. You can't be on. I mean, those guys are taking EPO, which gives you a, an unfair cardio advantage to beat someone to death. Mm-hmm. How is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. We're not riding bikes or like hitting balls out of the fucking park. You know what I mean? This is like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously in the combat sports, that's fucked up. Yeah, totally. Like you saw what happened to uh, the cyborg, man, and that. uh Oh my God, dude, dude! That made me sick to my stomach when I saw that, dude. And talk about what is that? That CTS? Oh, really? You think getting your fucking head caved in? That dude is gonna come back and fight, man. That's crazy. That is, he will, dude. That guy's gonna have Parkinson's, like next year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's gonna have Parkinson's by Christmas. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. Yeah, Michael Van and Page. That was the guy he was fighting. What was that? Like a knee to the head? Yeah, it was a knee to the head. And it was just brutal, man. Yeah, I saw uh, that and I was like, oh, man. That's like, it made me, literally made me sick to my stomach when I saw that. The photo, the oh, dent. I didn't see, was that on a Friday night Bellator? Yeah, it was on a Bellator, like a Friday night fight. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I got to start taping those. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, um,. I, I like Bellator, man. Like, I, you know, it's funny. People, like, talk a little shit about some of the, um, you know, like Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie and stuff like that. I kind of like those, man. I think they're Fuck fun. yeah. Yeah, they're fun, dude. Fucking Ken Shamrock's solid shit. I love Ken Shamrock, dude. He's such a... I, I, there's, I don't... I, I wonder why I actually like Ken Shamrock, but I fucking like him, man. He's, I don't know when the last time he won a fight was either, but I still fucking dig Ken Shamrock. I think it's the the magic of the old UFC. Yeah. <laughs> and talk about drugs. Oh yeah, dude. Big HGH, look at that forehead. <laughs> yeah. Man. Oh yeah. Big time, man. <laughs> that is someone who's not straight edge. But then again, he wouldn't still be doing it if it wasn't for that shit. <laughs> yeah. He's like in his 50s, man. And Exactly. Um, he looks fucking awesome. Also, didn't, I think he was in like like a bare knuckle boxing match too, like in England or something like that. Or he either was going to, and then he then he signed a contract to fight Kimbo, like 
and you know that that was the that Bellator that happened like last year, you know, and it was like I wonder if Kimbo's health condition had anything to do with uh, kind of steroid or HGH. You know, that you know, it, it's there's really nothing connecting those things. Uh, H, uh, HGH can cause an enlarged organs and can cause enlarged hearts. Okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, knowing nothing about anything except Barrow science, would be speculating, so. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I like Kimbo, man. I, I, like, really was shocked to hear when he died, and, um, I just thought. That was a bummer. Yeah, it was a total bummer, man. He seemed like a fucking really cool guy, and uh, I used to, like, watching him fight, and, like, you know, he he's a guy who pulled himself up out of, like, you know, pretty dire circumstance and uh, made something out of himself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was from Miami. Miami's fucking rugged. Yeah, yeah. So is um, yeah. what's his name there? Uh, Jorge Masvidal. He's from from down there too, I think. He was, yeah, it's a, it's he a was, different country. Yeah, he was like a one of those another one of those like backyard like brawler guys. You know, I don't know if I'm right, but I also believe that Alex Caceres was was another guy who was in a few of those fights too, those YouTube fights. Have you seen that movie Dogfight? Of course I have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's some shit, man. It was it was um definitely interesting and like a little depressing. Uh yes. Yes. Yeah. Um it's just the, you know, the, I mean, poverty's driving the whole situation. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's tragic. I mean, I spent every summer in Miami. My, you know, my dad was from there. So I spent every summer in Miami fucking, uh, he, he worked construction. So sometimes we worked in those neighborhoods. Right. Fucking, it's, I think, you know, crime always goes up in the summer. Yeah. And it's just always miserable there. It's always summertime so. down there, man. It's always like fucking, you know, hot and cooking people's brains, man. Miami. It's just violence and heat. Yeah. That's all there is to it. But Yeah, it's it's definitely you feel like you're in another country when you're down there. You know, which which is what it's, makes it a cool city, you know. Yeah, I fucking dig, man. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, hopefully we're gonna we should tour this album. I mean, we 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 have the budget. I think we this record's doing like the reviews have been really like phenomenal. I'm yeah. kind of like surprised. I'm not surprised. The fucking record's good, man. Um, God damn it! It could have been better. <laughs> well, that's how everyone says the same shit, man. I know making these records is what it's like. You know, cramming two pounds of shit in a one pound sack. Uh, you know, but. Uh, I'm really surprised by the, the positive response. I mean, like, we've gotten, we've gotten so much goddamn press. I've done so many interviews. We've gotten so many magazine articles, so much shit, and so many positive reviews. I seem to score a, score a decent tour or punk it and just go do it on our own, you know? Uh, you know, we got the budget to make it happen. I got the time. You know what's fucked up? It's like... We're going out there in November to your your area, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. Ron, I don't know why he never he. I mean, it would have been cool if you guys could have played at least a couple of those shows with us. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, tell him to hit us up. Fucking, fucking not we'll do it. We'll tell you, I mean, fucking Wolfhammer. Uh, I mean, we'll do it for cheap. You know, nah, I don't say that, dude. I don't want you to do it for cheap, but I want, you know, I would love for you guys to play some of those shows. You know, um, like I said, you- like. You know, getting or renting a van, it's no big deal. Yeah. I don't care. Even if it was just like L.A. and San Diego. Like, that'd be, you know, 90 miles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell them to hit us up. Yeah. Fucking. The, um, how long have you known Ron? Uh, since like 1990. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. I, I know Ron through Pusshead. Really? Yeah. He, Pusshead put out uh, Final Conflict records, too. Yeah. On the same label. Right. And that's how you met Ron? Yeah. I Basically, I, I started hitting up the guy Jake because Ron just didn't return my emails. <laughs> like, I was trying to hook up something for this album, and Ron just wasn't responding to me. That, um, you know, it's funny. There's that uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part 3. I don't know if you're aware of that, the existence of that film. Uh, yeah, Angela. Yeah, Ron, Ron's in that. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yep. There's footage of Final Conflict, and uh, Ron Martinez is front and center singing on stage. Yeah. Rad. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Ron's a cool guy. Oh, I yeah. Ron, just, Ron's uh, great, man. Fucking super busy. I mean, I've actually only used him for the tour we did with you guys, and he's hooked me up through the years of shows when he worked at Chain Reaction. Yeah. But like I said... We're a we're a hard band to book and probably hard hard to deal with, or actually to deal with at all since you know. But uh, and I haven't. Uh, we probably just need to go out there and headline. I mean, we're playing with the Storm of Light. Oh yeah. At uh, the end of the month, and then we're flying to uh, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm playing this thing called the Liver Fest. The Liver uh, Fest. <laughs> yeah, with 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 the body and full of hell. Okay, yeah, I know we I know the full of hell guys. That's yeah. Um, so like some weird festival put on by like the guy from uh, Rewake CT. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so at the en- at the end of the month, we're gonna fly out to uh, Little Rock and play this festival. You know, just making enough to uh, pay for the flights. But uh, I want to go to Graceland anyways. So. You know, um, that the body in full of hell that they did this, uh, collaborative record. That's, I don't know if it's out yet or not, but this tour is, um, them performing that record together. That's yeah. I think that's, that's the show that, uh, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like we're, we're headlining this festival. They fucking have us headlining this festival there in little rock. Uh, and they're playing. And then there's, after we're playing, there's a fucking fireworks display. <laughs> I know it's most bizarre thing ever. It sounds dangerous as shit. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that, that should be but, interesting, uh, man. Little Rock. Little Rock's another dangerous town. Yeah. This is like a camp out thing. Uh, the liver fest. So it's this guy from that band. Sea hag puts it on and I don't know. You know, they sold, they already sold a couple hundred tickets. That's good enough for me. Yeah. So. Fuck it, man. We're playing yeah. a, an outdoor camp out thing next month called uh, Shadow Woods Festival in Maryland. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's, it should be fun. I'm going to be, uh, in, in addition to Tombs merchandise, I'm going to be selling uh, Savage Gold Cold Press at that show. Oh, dude. 
Speaking of which, yeah, that fucking nitro cold press. Yeah. Are you fucking with that at all? Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're gonna do? Well, that's what. I, yeah, I mean, I, if I can get the whole thing off the ground, that's what I want to do. But like, what I'm doing in that festival is just like, you know, just just getting like a toddy bucket and making cold press and you know selling it by the cup. You know, not not. The nitro is where it's at, though, man. Definitely. I've I just got um, I got this stuff called Lucky Jack. Lucky Jack. I've never never heard of that. Okay, they make a nitro cold brew, Lucky Jack. Uh, it might be here on the on the West Coast only. Yeah. Um, it's got seven calories, like no carbs. It's organic. It's just coffee in a can or in a bottle with a little, you know, it's a, it's a nitro. I don't know. There must be like 200 milligrams of caffeine. This is jack you up. man. I know for sure. Used, used as a pre-workout. It's, it's out of control. It's almost too much for me. When we played that, uh, psycho California thing last year, they, um, uh, stump town had this like nitro, uh, on tap thing just for the backstage area the green room areas yeah and, uh, i drank like fucking five of those shits and i was like i felt like i was like you know my heart was going to explode or something it was like definitely too much man we we went to the stump town in uh in portland a few weeks ago too like the the like the place the the original stump down place yeah it's almost too much man yes yeah. it's, it's almost too much I don't know. I mean, the cold brew is the way to go, though, because it's way less acidic. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it just it feels better. It feels cleaner. I don't know what the nitro thing is, but it's almost too strong for little old me. Yeah, the nitro stuff's cool, but it's like it's like you're doing like a fucking Red Bull or something like that. It's like some kind of like, <sighs> like really fucking intense. Like it's like a trucker fucking drink or something, you know? Dude, I do not need to do that much cardio that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> i don't need to do that many burpees or hill sprints i don't need to do that shit but, well shit man i think you got it all all right cool right on dude <laughs> so um just uh once again the record's out and uh if people want to check you guys out you guys on facebook and like instagram and fucking twitter uh, and bullshit. 16 band facebook uh, you know, look us up at Relapse. Fucking buy the vinyl so it'll sell out. Hell yeah. Buy something so we can continue doing this 25 years. And, uh, you know, we'll tour. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue. <laughs> we always do. We'll fucking continue. Uh, I'm working on it right now. We'll come, we'll do a full U.S. thing soon. I'm uh, obviously got my shit together, <laughs> so hey, you know. Do me a favor, man. Lo loose, loosely, loosely got it together. <laughs> send me your. Uh, I think I have your address, but send me your address anyway, and I'll send you a little care package of uh, my, you know, espresso and all this other shit that I got coming out. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been meaning to order. Uh, I fucking I donated though. Oh, I know I saw that, and I and I thank you very much for that, man. It's like that's that yeah. uh, that's all going towards this uh, 
cold press, uh, bottled cold press thing that I'm working on. Yeah, make it happen, man. Cold press is the way to go. That's that's the new drugs. Yeah, the new drugs. <laughs> it definitely is, man. The fucking cold press is definitely the new drugs. So, <laughs> right on, Mike. All right, dude. I'll see you. Uh, see you in a couple months, man. When I'm out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, bro. All right, take care.